0: Hi and welcome to the latest podcast from Moor Valley Farmers. We've seen how drought conditions in the south of the UK have created serious issues with forage shortages on many farms. Grass growth has slowed down or even stopped, leading to a shortage of feed, with many herds already using first-cut silage stocks impacting on winter feed availability. Sheep farmers have also reportedly been supplementing ewes with silage after prioritising their available grazing for lambs and reports from eastern England have seen forage maize being harvested in early August at a third of the normal yields, some concerned farmers saying they're going to run out of forage by Christmas. So this podcast will discuss the issues facing farmers, how they can assess whether they'll have enough forage, and strategies they can put in place to help overcome the shortfalls. I'm Seth Conway. Here's what's coming up from my expert guests from Mole Valley Farmers, Sean Hamley, head of Alternative Feeds and Blends, and Rachel Smithyman, a nutritionist in the technical team.
1: What forage have you got on farm? And then look at the shortfalls in your diet.
2: I'm not saying that these silages haven't got the potential to feed well, but they need to be balanced correctly within the rations.
1: Every year, too many cows die of grass staggers. And um, it's something that can be easily preventable.
0: Hi, Sean. Hi, Rachel. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, Sean, let's start with you. Just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and the work that you do at Mole Valley.
1: Yeah, thank you, Seth. Um, So my name is Sean Hamley. I'm Head of Alternative Feeds and Blends for Mole Valley Farmers. Um, I've been with the business for 22 years. Um, My remit is I look after a team of traders that cover the country from Scotland down to Cornwall um and i look after a team of blend coordinators who would formulate um, blends and rations for use on farm um, as well as all the administration team who would work behind the scenes in planning and getting those orders out to farm
0: great stuff thanks sean and uh, you rachel hello
2: hi so yeah i'm rachel smithyman and i'm a nutritionist that works as part of the technical team at mole valley so i've been with mole valley for about seven and a half years now um, did a degree in animal science with Nottingham University. Um, and yeah, as my role of Mole, I'm involved with the uh, product development, and um, the on farm rationing software. Um, our R and D work, um, and also support our northern team mainly, um, of nutritionists. So general nutritional support for the team and farmers as well.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Rachel. This podcast today. It's obviously talking about feeding and about the challenges that there have been over this summer period. And uh, in the pair of you, I feel that we're in safe hands today. We're gonna find out lots of useful information that we can take away with us. I think the first thing though, from both of you is that can either of you remember a summer like that where it's posed so many challenges to to farmers in terms of having to get into winter feed early and and things like that have you ever noticed anything like this before start with you Rach.
2: um we've certainly had dry summers before but i do feel like things are becoming more extreme and less predictable um so perhaps not to the extent that we've had um over the summer um but it does yeah, just it just seems things just seem to become harder and harder to predict um at the moment. And I think going forward we need to bear that in mind when we're making decisions about what we want to do. Um,
0: and for you, Sean, kind of looking into the future, gazing into that crystal ball of yours to see what food needs to be ordered, what feeds need to come in, I guess as Rachel says, that sort of unpredictability to it must cause some headaches.
1: Yeah, no, it does um cause a few headaches. I think um if we look back to twenty eighteen um, we did have um, a little bit of a, a dry summer then in in terms of and I think second cuts didn 't come out too high in yield, so we have had some plans in place in terms of you know how we might deal with this if it happens again, um, but I think back in two thousand and eighteen um, you know we had those plans we had, had we prepared ourselves. For um, what might be um, a shortage of forage going through the winter, but we didn't actually foresee that because what happened is I think the maize stocks um, came in and the crops came in quite well, um, which which balanced out the um, the,
0: the lack of forage uh, in terms of in terms of grass silage. So obviously, this element of what we've seen this summer is something that we could potentially see more of, um, from seeing perhaps once in a generational drought to a drought that may happen every three or four years was the latest predictions that I saw. So, Sean, do you think for farmers getting their head around it now and getting plans in place now for what may happen if this were to happen again in the near future, that's that's just useful information, isn't it, to have to hand there for, for the farming community?
1: I think if you've got um, a plan in place for events like this, Um, then that's obviously going to put you in good stead going forward because there are, um, although there are feeds available um, to complement forages, forage stocks and and forage shortages, um, they are getting few and far between in terms of moist moist feeds and things like that. Um, So I think you've got to have a plan in place that looks at alternatives to what would have necessarily been the normal practice maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago because some of those feeds that would have been used then
0: and would have been in plentiful supply um aren't necessarily there at the moment and do you think that's the thing that as well as the farming communities got to adapt actually the industry has got to adapt as well to potentially seeing this uh, increased demand
1: yeah no i think I think the industry um one thing agriculture is good at is adapting, um, and I think the industry is having to adapt um, to um, you know the, the changes in weather patterns, but but not only that, you know the changes in in what is available to use. Um, and I think that's where people like uh, Rachel come in in terms of their nutritional expertise um, to provide that advice on farm. Um, looking at what is available to the farmer, um, what what have you got on farm? What have you grown, and how can we best balance those those diets on farm? So, you know, it's people like Rachel who would who would do the clever stuff in terms of uh, saying what's needed, and then it's uh, our or my job then is to go and source those products and raw materials um, to complement what uh, what is available to the farmer.
0: Well, we're going to get into all this through this podcast. We're going to be looking at how best to plan, prepare and monitor. We're going to look at some short term solutions, those nutritional considerations from Rachel that you were just talking about, Sean, the potential issues that might come. And then we're going to finish off with some long term solutions. So that's kind of what we're, we're looking at in this podcast. And if you're after that kind of information, then you are definitely in the right place. So let's get ourselves underway then with some plan, preparation and monitoring for you, Sean, What does that kind of mean if you 're planning, preparing, and, and monitoring
1: Well I think um, first and foremost, you want to um, look at what forage stocks you 've got, what forage have you got on farm, and then look at the shortfalls in your diet depending on what you 're looking to achieve um, and I think that 's the most important thing you can do now um, you know what what when are you going to run out of the forage stocks um, and then you can prepare and plan the um the feeding regime then uh, for those animals um, in the long term rather than uh, getting you know pot- potentially getting into next year and then realising that maybe you're not going to have enough forage to um, feed those animals.
0: And for you Rachel I guess having that forage that you have got there getting that analysed as well for, for what nutrients and minerals it contains?
2: Yeah no definitely completely agree with what Sean said I think doing um understanding what stocks you've got and budgeting um, for your animals going forward and definitely uh, knowing what you've got in the clamp so getting it analyzed and getting it analyzed um, regularly so obviously we've got information um, on how the uh, forages have analyzed on average um, for this year and as you'd expect through the dry conditions um, dry matters on them have been high. We've seen um, quite high NDFs compared to typical values. Um, certainly, um, the dry conditions have particularly impacted the second cut. Um, grass silages, so they've sort of encouraged stem elongation. We've got reduced leaf growth, um, which has resulted in lower uh, protein levels. I think the protein levels have also been impacted by... Um, we've had reduced fertiliser use, just um, partly through cost... Um, so all that's had an impact. So it's really important to understand what you've got. The other thing with, you know, the, I'm not saying that these silages haven't got the potential to feed well, but they need to be balanced correctly within the ration. So um, there's massive variations um, across the samples as well. So although the averages are helpful, you it's really important that each farm gets their um, forage analysed so that we can, you know, ration specifically to what they've got. I mean, one thing that we've seen is that this year the silages have been particularly low in rapidly fermentable carbohydrate. Um, so they might benefit from being fed alongside, you know, cereals and cereal co-products. But also we've got to make sure that um, room and health is, is always king and that we look after, make sure we haven't got any acidosis issues. So, yeah, we want samples really need to be um, analysed at least monthly so that we can make sure we can make optimal use of the forage that people have got. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, that sounds really important, Rachel. And I guess farmers are going to be looking at what they have got, looking at what the quality is of that. Are they getting to the stage now where they're going to have to perhaps prioritise certain animal groups for what should be fed and when?
2: Yeah, definitely. So... I mean, it's all of this is um, planning and monitoring and and making and managing, making decisions. So prioritising your groups of animals on the farm so that if you are short of forage, you know where you want to, which groups of animals you want to direct the best stuff to and which groups you can perhaps challenge Um, slightly more. That's going to be really important. You know, we there's certain groups of animals like our fresh cows that we know we could quite quickly end up in trouble um if we didn't feed those correctly and um, we could get into all sorts of metabolic issues if they start if they rapidly lost weight because we'd underfed them and then that would impact on fertility and then it's an on you know it's an ongoing problem that goes on um so yeah pr- pr- prioritizing animal groups is going to be is going to be key to this
0: and with that Sean if we then sort of look into what can we do then in the short term if we've taken a look at what we've got in terms of forage available on farm we've we've made those changes to perhaps prioritize certain groups what other short-term solutions then can we be looking at for now
1: yeah well I think I think there's various um, options and and solutions that you could be looking at Um, but if you come to find that you haven't got enough forage um, when you do all your your budgeting and, and measuring then you've got things like forage extender blends, which are dry dry blends, which we can I guess we can get into in a, in a bit more detail in a, in a minute. Um, there's things like moist feeds. Um, the challenge that we've got with moist feeds at the minute is the base product. Um, a lot of moist feeds are based on um, brewers grains or based on waste materials from the food and beverage industry. Um, and if you have a look at what's happened to the industry since COVID. Um, so you have a look at how many barrels of beer that we were drinking as a as a as a uk um, uh, industry then um, it's dropped something like 10 million barrels and um, it started to recover a little bit this is for, from 2020 then we've dropped about 10 million barrels so there isn't as many uh, brewers grains available so it's it's in limited short in, in limited supply. so we've got to look at other things um, so i think People are looking to feed straw and, and mixing that with molasses, and we can we can go into that in, in more detail of how you, how you do that. Um, and that's kind of like the options, or feeding an extra kilo of compound in the parlour, which can it can help um, re- replace um, some of that some of that forage. So there's various different options there that people could could look at, um, and that's just a few um, from from where I can from what I can see.
0: Just give us a little bit more then, Sean on that mixing in with molasses
1: yeah so um, what a lot of people are looking to do this year is is mix um, straw um, so take straw and mix it with molasses um, The reason for that is straw is is in nature in the nature of the product it's quite unpalatable so you're wanting to put something with it to make it more palatable um, and it's quite fibrous so you're wanting something in there um, in terms of a uh, um, degradable protein source um, to help break, break down those fibers. So um, a lot of our customers at the minute are looking at um, buying in straw and mixing it through the mixer wagon in, in a TMR in a uh, 70% straw and 30% molasses. Um, the molasses that we're tending to supply to do that um it's high in uh room degradable protein um so it gives a good balance and it's high in sugar as well um to encourage that palatability um i think one of the things which um we're looking at and i think you know we could go into more detail is how that straw is processed you know what is the chop strop- length of that straw and how we, how you should be feeding it um and i think yeah it's uh it's, some, it's an option that people are looking at and um, it seems to be quite popular because there is plenty of straw around. It's one of the raw materials that we have got a lot um, available to us. Um, and also it's very competitively priced um, against other, other raw, raw materials. So um, that's a reason why uh, farmers are turning into straw um, and
0: molasses um, to put in the diet. That sounds yeah. like a, a good win. Sorry, Rachel, yeah, carry on.
2: No, I was just gonna say yeah. Just to add to Sean's point, because I think straw could um, feature quite heavily um, on the farm, and um, particularly suited to suited to sort of dry cow rations um, and young stock. Because one thing we've got to bear in mind that um, obviously addition of straw into rations is going to drop um, the energy content of that ration and also the protein. So. Although it works really well. It has got to be balanced correctly within in those rations, um, and as Sean talked about the processing of it. Obviously, if it, if we can chop that straw, you know, ideally to like you know two inches, um, it will definitely help with the intakes and also reduce sorting. You know, cows are very clever, and um, they will pick out the sweeties um, if they're given the opportunity, um, and certainly getting that straw down to a short chop length if possible will certainly help um with intakes um obviously where people don't have mixer wagons and you know we can top dress with molasses in ring feeders and that does work very well um but we've just got to consider things like um mineral supplementation you know particularly when we're talking about a dry cow ration um but i think it will be um you know it could be a good option for a lot of people this winter
1: and I think um it, sorry I was, I was going to say if um if you have a look at um like suckler cows you know people that outwinter suckler cows that might be a bit shorter forage some straw in a in a round feeder um with top dressing of molasses um is a is a really good um,
0: alternative for those those type of um, herds. And also Rachel perhaps getting some brassicas into the mix as well.
2: Yeah, so it's. Yeah, brassicas can be really good uh, as an option for outwintering heifers. Um, And it not only can help from a a forage stock perspective, it can also be quite helpful from a cost perspective. Um, And it has, you know, there are uh, lots of trials out there to show that um, outwintering heifers has worked really well. It can be done successfully. You can get decent growth rates off it, but it does require a certain level of planning. Um, And I think at this point in the year, you, you know, you couldn't make that decision. Now it's too late to put those crops in the ground. So it's perhaps more of a long um, term solution of perhaps looking at it for next year. Um, but things like kale, stubble turnips, fodder beet um, can all be used um, to outwinter winter heifers on. It just requires um, planning because you want to make sure that your heifers are in good condition before they go out. Um, you're gonna have to feed some sort of um, long fiber with it like bales. And it's a good idea to have those bales placed um out ready for when the heifers go out onto it. Um but it can be done it can be done really successfully. But I do think at this point you if you know it would it would be too late really to start thinking about putting those crops in the ground now to try and do it for this year it would perhaps be something that you'd look at going forward.
0: But for grasses, are you thinking <laughs> I don't know where, what it's like for you in the north, but here in uh, Devon, it's raining uh, quite a lot at the moment. So uh, do you think we'll get a late cut of silage in in October?
2: Yeah, as it's been that is one thing with the forage. It has been very variable across the country. I mean, I work with a lot of guys in southwest Scotland and they certainly would like to know where all that dry weather was over the summer because they've had quite a lot of rain and the, and the forage stocks aren't so much of an issue. Coming down the country into sort of Cheshire Staffordshire, it has certainly been very dry. Um, I mean, I'd say the rain it has helped green, um, you know, green the forage up. The fields are looking a lot greener. Um, I'm not necessarily sure it's recovered that well in terms of what's physically there because, I mean, the sort of rain we've had has been a lot of rain in a short period of time, and a lot of it's run off. What we need is sort of a steady, consistent rainfall so that it actually can be taken up by the soil. So there might be an opportunity to take a late cut of silage um, if you are really short and just need bulk. I don't think it's going to be of um, brilliant quality, um, but it's certainly an option that's worth looking at um, if, that's, you know, if that's sort of what you're going to need.
1: I'd agree. I think you know there's there's definitely a bit of a north-south divide yeah. if, in terms of in terms of the weather and um in terms of where the forage shortages are. Um Rachel you touched on um the brassicas and kale and stubble turnips and may may be an option, but I, I know from previous experience if you're if you're moving on to those types of crops then the mineral supplementation is vastly different in, in, compared to where you would uh, be if you are, um, you know, feeding grass silage or, or maize silage. So I think if people are looking to change and they do go onto those crops, and we've touched on it earlier, um, really check your mineral package that you're feeding because there is a there is a significant change.
2: Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that. Um... And also, if you're going to do it, you sort of want a period of acclimatization for those heifers as well. It would be a good idea to run them over those crops for a couple of hours whilst they're full. Um, Because, you know, some of those um, products like fodder beet have got quite high um, sugar content as well. And you obviously don't want them going out and binging uh, on a very sort of sugary feed. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's attention to detail, as always, is going to be key. And something like the mineral supplementation levels is something that we need to be aware of.
0: And, Sean, anything else uh, on your list of short-term solutions?
1: Yeah well I I think um, one of the things just touching on if you are if you are looking to outwinter animals um, and you know keep them outside and and don't bring them inside is is again mineral supplementation and you know consider what else you potentially could put out to feed them so um, feed buckets and feed blocks um, can come into into that sort of um, strategy Um, and what I would say is is if you're looking at feed bucket or a mineral bucket or a, or a mineral block is understand what you're actually putting out there to to do and, and to achieve so you know the difference between a mineral bucket and a feed block is is it effectively intake so a feed block is almost like a compound feed but pressed into a into a block and um, they are higher intake lower mineral value um, but they do supplement um, you know shortages of forage um, quite well um, and then you've got the feed bucket which, which is somewhere in the middle and then your mineral bucket which would just um, supplement minerals so i think if you're looking at um, doing something like that and, and outwintering stock um, understand how much dry matter intake those animals are getting from the forage that is in front of them and then work out what additional supplementation they might need they actually might need compound feed through the winter and a feed bucket or a block might not be enough so it's understanding that um and uh, and looking at what uh, what else you could you could put out um, to supplement them but the beauty of, of feed buckets and feed blocks you are getting minerals into them as well um, and we've got um in terms of the business has got a team of people who can help and advise on that
0: yeah i mean it's certainly worth getting in touch with your local Mall valley office to uh, find some information isn't it Uh, everyone's always keen to have a chat
1: no definitely I think I think you know that's one thing that we're very good at as a business in terms of having um, people that understand um, the product ranges and the products that we do and and you're never too far away from someone within Mull Valley who can give you an answer on something so
0: now great information there Sean and Rachel any additional nutritional considerations really for for what's been happening at the moment
2: Um, yeah, well, I think definitely, um, I think just to expand on Sean's previous point in terms of intakes, I think there'll be a lot of people, um, now looking to keep whilst it's weather's still mild to keep animals out grazing for longer, which is fine, but I think we need to be realistic in terms of what expectations we've got of that grass in terms of intakes and what it can support, um. So that's one of the things we, that we need to consider that is that we're supplementing that um, grazing appropriately. So um, buffer feeding, use of compound feed, um, you know, with well, we can start to look later on perhaps when um, cows come in maybe and we are looking at to challenge say the forage concentrate ratio. Normally we'd look for a minimum of 40% forage um, to 60% concentrate in within rations. And that is perhaps something that in extreme cases, we can now look to challenge, provided that we look at the, we've obviously got to look at the ration as a whole. And we look. We don't look at individual nutrients and make decisions based on individual nutrients. We've got to look at the whole picture and see what we can do. And that's when we can perhaps start to have some of these situations that we can challenge. So you know if we're happy that we've got adequate levels of um, NDF structural fiber um, the acid loading is not a problem they're all adequate then we can perhaps start to challenge some of these you know the forage to concentrate ratios and um, as i said previously room and health is king and um, we've got parameters within our rationing system that can help us manage that so things like rapidly fermentable carbohydrate levels acid loading um as we've previously mentioned um, we need to keep a close eye on the minerals um, particularly over an under supply of minerals if we're looking to feed more concentrate to make up for an undersupply of forage and that concentrate is uh, mineralized you know we need to take close um, attention pay close attention to that and things of copper levels that sort of thing um, but I also think, you know, we, we've got additional things we could add to the ration that would help us um, get more out of it. You know, things like yeasts could help make sure that we we're utilising the fibre that we've actually got within the ration um, and getting those optimum rumen conditions. Um, so, yeah, I feel like there is there's a lot that we can do, um, you know, ensuring that, as I've mentioned before, cows aren't sorting the ration that we're minimising waste of what we are feeding. I think these are all going to be important factors.
0: Yeah, no really important points there, Rachel. And you mentioned there, you know, if we're looking at these potential issues that may be uh, happening, you sort of mentioned there about the um, what may happen from extended grazing on the grass and additional supplements that are required. But what other things uh, are there really to, to be looking out for that so uh, we should be paying close attention yeah to. so
2: we, what we often see is um, grass quality is going to decline um, and if we don't um, supplement that grazing what will happen is cows will lose body they'll lose weight so it can be a useful tool to make sure we're keeping an eye on cow body condition um, and that we're body condition scoring those cows regularly another thing we can look at is rumen fill which will give us an indication of how much that cow's eaten in the last six um, hours Because the other thing with grass is that it's intake of it is very variable depending on the weather um, and obviously if, if we've had recent rainfall that's going to impact on the dry matter of that grass and intakes of it and if cows are losing weight, particularly um, fresh cows, then that's going to predispose them to will there already be in a period of negative energy balance and we don't want to potentially make that worse. Um, We'd be predisposing those animals to the risk of metabolic disease, which is then going to have an impact on fertility, making it harder to get those cows back in calf. Um, And the other thing that happens is then when we do bring the cows back inside, what we find is we don't get the potential from the winter ration because they then have to spend a period of time recovering that body condition, um, putting that weight back on. And it can often take till Christmas until, you know, they've sort of they've recovered from that period of of weight loss. So, yeah, it's it's something that we need to keep a close eye on.
0: So, Sean, really, with all of those potential pitfalls that could lie ahead, you know, getting across your feed and what extra you need to put in is just crucially important, isn't it?
1: yeah no it is and I think I think everything we've talked about today on this podcast is attention it's it's all about attention to detail Um, it's understanding what you've got where your shortfalls are where your pitfalls could be and making sure you've got a plan in place to take you through the winter and not not just the winter next next spring because who knows what the spring is going to bring next year so we've got to we've got to make sure that we're prepared um, for that for that
0: occurrence If, if if it happens I'm sure, Sean, that the spring when it comes is going to be lovely, mild, and wet. I'm sure it's going to happen.
1: <laughs> the seasons tend to even themselves out, don't they, over the years? You know, I think that's, that's, that's something we tend to f- find. But I think we t- touched on it right at the very beginning. We said that, you know, the climate is becoming more and more variable, more and more unpredict- unpredictable. Um, so, you know, let's, let's see what the spring brings.
2: I think one thing to be mindful of, actually, with the autumn and and talking about spring is we do tend to get that second flush of grass in the autumn um, and one of the things we've got to be very careful about is the risk of um, grass staggers which we have we always keep an eye on in the spring because we know that it's a high risk period when we get these um, low magnesium high potassium levels within um, what well, high potassium in the grass um, locking up magnesium um, but I think that could be quite risky um for this autumn as well if cows are out for longer um, and perhaps they're moving on to more winter compounds which might not have the higher level of magnesium in that perhaps the grazing compounds do so that's certainly something to bear in mind
1: yeah no com- completely agree i, I was just going to say every year too many cows die of grass staggers and um, it's something that can be easily preventable um, by supplementary feeding with magnesium um, but every year, I think we tend to get calls where um, maybe we haven't put the supplementation out fast enough um, in, in terms of getting out in front of cows.
2: One thing that I can see also is going to happen um, with the pressure. I know a lot of people have been on full winter rations for a month um, now and they're getting through silage quick. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people wanting to get clamps open really quickly. And... Um, and obviously ideally we'd say we want clamps sort of shut for say f- four week period before we open them up to make sure that we've got that stable fermentation. Um, and I know that a lot of people perhaps aren't going to be in the position to do that. So we've just got to be mindful that if we are um, opening clamps early, we're exposing um, you know, them to an unstable fermentation and um, increased aerobic losses, um, particularly Um, on these high dry matter forages um, that are not well compacted which of the nature of what we've had over the summer is what a lot of people have got in the clamp Um, and there's going to be higher risk of say mycotoxins as well within those forages so it might be quite prudent to put you know to consider mycotoxin binders as a bit of a safety net perhaps um, for this winter as well Um, and again with the um, maize silage we've got to be aware that the digestibility of the starch within that maze is going to change the longer it's sat in the clamp. And again, that's going to come down to making sure we're testing that maze regularly, uh, analyzing it and, and making sure we're balancing um, the starch and the degradability of that starch within the whole you know, total cow ration.
0: It must be so hard though, Rachel, mustn't it? That, you know, you're, you're there looking at that clamp thinking there's food in there i've got to use it but it's, it's a, a real balance isn't it you got to weigh up on that
2: oh yeah definitely i mean we can only we can say what the best practice would be and what we know will work best but it's you know a lot of our job is the balancing with the reality of what we can actually do on farm and making the best of that situation and we know that people are going to be in a position where they've just got to feed what they've got on farm and it might not be ideal but you know we'll help them through that and help make the
1: best of that and i think i think you hit the nail on the head there Rachel. in terms of you mentioned about the mycotoxin binders and things like that but um plants tend to uh, develop mycotoxins when they're they're grown under a period of stress and you know we know what the maize crop is is um you know what that's had to go through um this season and um it's definitely been grown under a period of stress so you know mycotoxin binders should be really considered in in the diets i think Seth, you, you mentioned about, you know, planning and what can be done. And I think, you know, as a rule of thumb, if you're feeding an extra kilo of blend, a dry blend, or an extra kilo of compound through the parlour, then that could save between three and four kilos of, of maize or grass silage. So, you know, there are ways in which you can save three or four kilos. It um, doesn't sound like very much. Um, but I think the other way is clamp management. I think clamp management is going to be really important because you don't want wastage and trough management at the feed face in terms of when you're, when you're, when you're feeding those cows. You want to make sure that they're utilising everything that you're putting in front of them. Um, so, you know, making sure that um, it's getting pushed up, making sure that you're not mixing it and leaving it there for two or three days. You know, fresh mixes each time to make sure they're consuming everything that you're, you're giving them.
2: I think though, Sean, I know you say like oh, you could, we could perhaps replace um, like a kilo of, um, we use a forage replacer blend and, and yeah. replace sort of four kilos of, of forage if you're doing it on a dry matter basis and four kilos isn't a lot. But you think if you've done that budgeting and you know what you need to feed those animals and you've got, you know, 200 cows and it's four kilos per cow per day, those numbers quickly add up and that could be the difference between eking through to turnout and running out at Christmas. And that's what we're trying to get people to look at now, because it really is about, um, you know, managing and understanding and making those decisions early, because the last thing we want is people ring us up at Christmas to say, that's it, I've totally run out of forage, what do I do? Because you look at what it's going to cost to have to buy in forage to replace that, and it's going to be very expensive.
1: Completely agree. And and a lot of the, um, if if you have a look at a lot of the forage replacer blends or compounds, they're high fibre materials, aren't they? And, um, you know, we've um, had indication that the um, European crop of sugar beet, which would be a forage replacer type product, um, is maybe 50% of what it would normally be. So that's put pressure on the prices of sugar beet, which will then have an in turn effect and put pressure on, on some of the other fibrous materials things like soya holes which would go into some of these forage replacer blends we we're expecting that to have an impact um, and we might see those those prices go up so actually getting in early planning getting in early actually might might save some money in terms of costs um, if you need to buy some of these forage replacer type type products because you know you're doing it sooner rather than later supply and demand and if there is a you know if there's plenty of supply at the minute and the demand's not there, the prices will be kept a little bit lower. Um, Whereas if you did get into into the Christmas period, we might see prices under pressure because of of a shortage of materials.
0: We've spoken obviously a lot about what's happened, about things that farmers can do now. Really useful information there as to what they can do now to try to alleviate some of these problems. But if we look a little further into the, the future, we're getting that crystal ball out again. What kind of long term solutions do you think would be sensible for farmers as they're looking ahead the next year, two years to think that didn't really work for me this year? What can I make sure that next year and the year after I've put in place to try to protect myself a little better with this?
2: Yeah, I think... um our forage team is going to be particularly helpful um, on this they've got some really good suggestions on um, on you know what what you can do it's basically going to be challenge the norm rather than just doing the same thing next year because that's what we've always done and it's it's an easy decision to make you know assess the receding policy and the fertilizer policy and challenging the norm to try and safeguard against um, some of these events and you know, we can sort of look at... I mean, the forage team certainly have got some really good suggestions on what you could perhaps put in um, after cereal and having, like, a 12-month plan for the year. Um, you know, what would be the grass, best grass types to put in to try and shorten that winter and get perhaps an earlier cut of silage or something earlier to turn out onto and, and just shortening that winter period and taking that pressure off um, the forage stocks. But also, thinking about... Um, building up those stocks so where we have got um more bulk storing that so that we've got a bit of backup um for when we need it and making and and considering things like outwintering the heifers um you know putting those steps in place early if that's what we want to do and then we can make sure we do a good job of it because it's something that's been considered and the appropriate steps have been put in place to do it
0: yeah certainly if you're interested in forage and grassland management I'll direct you to the previous podcast from Mole Valley Farmers where we do talk to Lisa Hamley the expert from Mole Valley and Ben Wixey as well uh, another expert within grassland management to really discuss those options and things like a multi-cut Rachel is really useful isn't it because then you are planning ahead and you're trying to look at how many different cuts you can get across the year and getting the right cut as well of course of that grass
2: yeah, I think every farm's individual, so it's not like there's a one solution that fits all. So I think it's just having those conversations. Um, you know, we are here to help people to understand, you know, your farm, um, what you what's going to be the best solution, whether it's a multi-cut system or whether it's something else that we can have a look at. Um. So yeah, it's just we just want to have those conversations. We want to help people. We want to try and you know avoid these um. Uh, the problems that we you know the challenges that we've got and forward planning we're all you know all for for
0: of that yeah and talking to like say the forage and agronomy teams about that type of thing and Sean as well you know for feed the it's an open door isn't it you know you you want to find out some more about it just ring your local branch and um, they'll be happy to uh, have a chat with you
1: yeah, so so speak to the alternative feeds team in terms of um, you know in, in terms of the, all the different uh, available feeds that we've got um, whether it's moist feed whether it's blends whether it's straights um, whether it's mineral buckets and blocks um, they're all on hand to provide that information uh, information to you um, yeah so I think again um, we're here to help we're here to advise in terms of where, where the markets are going because you know that's that's important too in terms of in terms of pricing and things like that um, so yeah always pick up the phone to the to the trading team um, if you want to ask those
0: sorts of questions. And Rachel just finally do you think that for farming community you know lots of farmers are quite traditional as to how they always do things but you know the environment is changing around us so do you think as much as anything having that sort of open mindset to think we've got to look at challenging the norms, see what we can do differently that's really the kind of flexibility that, that we're looking at over the next few years
2: yeah definitely and i think we can be um quite reactionary um you know we tend to wait for things to happen and then sort of panic about it um but you know i think i think we are getting to that stage where we are becoming more aware that things are um we're getting these very extreme um seasons now and i do feel like um it has perhaps caught us out a bit this year but people are already taking those steps to think right well, what am i going to do you know food security is going to be and you know sustainability is going to be a big thing going forwards and that's going to come down onto farm farm level um and we're certainly going to be having that conversation more and more i think
0: yeah and that's certainly the content for future more valley podcasts completely <laughs> around that subject so uh, yeah thanks for that rachel And uh, thank you very much as well, Sean. It's been a great conversation. Hopefully people have taken some of this stuff they may know already, but for other farmers, you know, little light bulbs may have gone off thinking, yeah, that's brilliant. That's really useful information. Thanks ever so much for listening today. We'll be back soon with another agricultural update from Mole Valley Farmers. If you'd like to find out more about what we've been talking about today, then please visit molevalleyfeedsolutions.com. That's molevalleyfeedsolutions.com. And I'll speak to you soon.